Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, back after a long, unintentional hiatus. My name is Wade Reed. I'm Aaron Pescucci. And today we have uh, three, you know, really interesting, very different topics for you. Uh, We're going to be talking about Proud Mary Coffee and their release of the $150 cup of coffee, the Black Jaguar Gesha. So, wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. But, yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, We're also going to be talking about the least scientific preference poll in the history of coffee, the Sprudge Ultimate Coffee Bracket Challenge. Uh, and Aaron is going to lead our discussion on um, all the things that made us <laughs> unhappy with the Sprudge Ultimate Coffee Bracket Challenge. This is going to be interesting. I, The thing I'm most interested in about the Ultimate Coffee Bracket Challenge is where you and I differ. Because I get the feeling we had mostly the same... I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it. That one's going to provide a lot of a lot of discussion, I'm sure. And then uh, you'll hear from our sponsor, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Ethiopia and the people in Tigray and what they've been through over the past couple years and what exactly is the role of coffee companies in talking about political issues, talking about the issues that maybe aren't as comfortable. Um, You know, we in specialty coffee like to bill ourselves as educational. So uh, what happens when it's not making us any money? And it's an often overlooked aspect of the coffee area. Absolutely. All right, so let's dive right in. Uh, So, Proud Mary Coffee, roaster and cafe originally out of Melbourne that now operates locations in Portland, Oregon, and Austin, Texas, announced a plan to sell Black Jaguar, the 2022 Best of Panama champion, for a staggering $150 per bag? Nope, per cup. Cup. Per cup. Without even any info on... If it's a 12-ounce cup, a 16-ounce cup, we don't know. Proud Mary obtained one pound of the coffee for $2,000 and only committed to selling 22 cups in the United States. I'm laughing because our producer is laughing. Uh, Spread between its Portland and Austin locations. 22 cups. Black Jaguar is, uh, of course, Gesha varietal, naturally processed with the addition of, check this out, 20 days in a dark room. And no idea what a dark room means, like if that's like literally just... A shed (laughs) or, you know, uh, if there's uh, some intentional use of light there or what. But it was sold at auction following 2022 Best of Panama competition. The auction sold 100 pounds, made uh, the Hartman estate $200,000. Wow. All right, Aaron, first question. If you just found 100, you walk out of here, you find $150. Are you buying the $150 cup of coffee? Well, first of all, we have to understand I'm nowhere near any of these places. Right, so right. That would involve flying. Now, I do have family in Texas, um, Austin specifically. Nice. So, you know, getting down there, um, I've done. There's a couple great places. Um, shout out to the guys at Houndstooth. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Staple. Yeah. Met the owner. Super great. Um, so, seeing this in Proud Mary there, it's Austin might be an up-and-coming coffee area. Well, so I had a friend in Austin who ran Frank, which was like a hot dog and coffee concept just like several years ago. So they've always kind of played with fun concepts there, and I think Proud Mary, a little more traditional of like roaster, brewing, you know, more coffee shop vibe, but 
uh, definitely with a little more focus on quality and offering things that are more in line with, like, say, the $150 cup of coffee. But you haven't answered. Would <laughs> you drink it? If I was able to find, like, a check for $150 on the ground <laughs> and I was in Austin, it, it would be tempting. You know, you got that bonus cash, and it's like, I don't want to save this because I wasn't counting on it. And ultimately, I would be so curious about this. I mean, there's so much hype around that and Gesha that it's like, is it really worth that? Or is it just a market price that it's almost a stunt maybe? Sure, sure. Well, I, and that gets into a lot of kind of the issues I wanted to talk about where like $2,000 for a pound of coffee, Okay. And you're selling 22 cups for 150 bucks a pop. It's roughly like, what, 3,500? It's not, oh, that's not a windfall. They're no. not trying, you know, they're not trying to send their kids to college on Black Jaguar or Gesha here. So, like, uh, when you think about who, who benefits and what it is they're trying to do, they're really just trying to bring out something. He's obviously thought about this and didn't just buy it because it was extremely expensive so he could offer it at that price. There had to have been something they absolutely loved about this coffee that they thought, you know, we've got to get this out there and we've got to put it at a price point that's going to sound ridiculous but actually makes sense, right? Well, and like you said, the the greatest part about this is they're not making like $120 profit on each cup. And also the thing I found interesting was – it's not one location. They're splitting it between their two locations. 22 cups over two locations. Right. So, so that might even be like if you're considering like math there, you're looking at 11 cups in one area possibly. That's – and in two areas that like we should say, like you said, Austin, up-and-coming coffee scene. Portland obviously like has the reputation. They'll probably have no trouble finding 11 people in Portland. Yeah. So back to – my option here, I would say, given a windfall in my pocket and being in the area, I would probably head there and do it. Yeah, I, same. I like. I gotta know. And then you know, you sent me the article about um, Nolan Huerta, right? Huerta, Herte. I'm not Herte, exactly sure. Herte. Uh, very sorry, Nolan, <laughs> if we're mispronouncing your name. But the founder of Proud Mary, perfectionist. Yes, someone who ultimately. chases the absolute best he can find someone with just hunger and passion that came through in that article big time and who's paid like a personal mental health price to be doing what he's doing. Uh, So this is, this is someone who's not just like you said, gonna, gonna go after something because of the price. There must've been something just spectacular. So yeah, I'm buying it if I could. And maybe even if I couldn't, you know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe even if it was outside my means, a little, I'd still be like, eh, maybe one less, uh, maybe one less bottle of whiskey this year, so that I can have one more Seriously. cup of coffee. <laughs> like, so mean, sorry, sorry to interrupt it from the producer station. So as a roaster, how would you go about? You have one pound at that much money. How would you go about roasting that coffee? Yeah. Um. So that's one of the reasons I'd buy it, honestly, because they literally put. One pound, $2,000 in somebody's hand, and that person was like, game on. And I respect the <laughs> hell out of that. Like, that is amazing. But, yeah, I whew, I have mad respect for that person, and that's one of the reasons I want to try it, just uh, as a roaster. Um, but 
getting beyond, like we're both coffee professionals, have been in a lot of different roles in coffee. Uh, how does this impact like popular perception of coffee? Like coffee's too expensive is basically a meme. In an environment where the general belief is coffee's too expensive, what does a $150 cup of coffee do to people's perception? So let me go about this a different way because it's going to come roundabout. And uh, and thinking about that price and what was going on, like what was going in Nolan's head and how is it going to impact everything? So first of all, you know, if you're not familiar, this is a little uh, little known magazine that I got as a gift. Um, Stand Art had a great article going over him and kind of his upbringing into the coffee scheme there. What you'll, uh, if you were to read that article, you'd see a wild ride that he went through coming from Melbourne into the States, building a culture in the industry that some might argue is not normal and going into things. Right. So, when I ultimately saw this, you know, most people, at least who are semi into coffee, like will understand the term of the waves that we've seen. Sure. And uh, so I was thinking most people will attend, go to, you know, purchase from like a second wave shop. Right. You know, they're bringing quality up a little bit, but it's still approachable. You know, it doesn't have, you know, the nuance that, you know, the coffee people are looking for. And, you know, willing to pay 3 $4 for a cup of drip in some of these places that, you know, we call third wave. Sure. So Which I saw Which is pretty this, standard now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone who is in the coffee world and loves coffee like a delicacy, it's getting to a point now where I'm like, how long can I sustain this? You know? Sure. Yeah. Well, and, how long can the planet sustain this? Right? Sure. Like, how many more of these lots are even possible in current conditions and, and the direction things are going to. And that's, that's a whole nother concept. <laughs> <laughs> so my thought was, as I was reading through this and what he was going through is, especially given his uh, ideas about coffee and what he wants to bring to it, is this the fourth wave? Is this the four, where we treat coffee like a delicacy and we're having to choose between bottles of whiskey and cups of coffee? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... We're definitely dealing with something that's only considered too expensive at 3 or $4 a cup because its history is rooted in essentially slavery. And the commodification of coffee happened because coffee was planted in places where it didn't naturally grow, and it was grown by people who were forced to grow it, and then the people who sold it weren't passing their profits on. And there are still echoes of this in the industry now, in the supply chain now, where um, the people who are picking it and the people who are caring for these plants are definitely not receiving fair compensation in the majority of instances. So I think, uh, oh, sorry. The to perception is rooted, sorry. The perception is rooted in, in a supply chain and a history of like essentially like colonial brutality. However, how do you correct that without going to the extremes like Proud Mary is, like Nolan has, and saying, this is what the best cup of coffee on earth is worth? And, like, creating that, like, just really planting your flag and saying, like, who's really willing to meet us here? Who's really meet, willing sure. to meet these people here? So that That's another thing. Like, I don't want to say it's arrogance, but 
you have to really put yourself out there to put that on your menu. Oh yeah. I mean, any lay person to the coffee is going to walk by that and be like, no way, like no freaking way. It can't be that good. And I'd argue that a lot of even, you know, people who are into it now would be like, this has got to be a gimmick. Like they're just trying to prove something here. So it sounds like you think in general, the perception broadly is like negative. Like this could have a negative effect on perception of specialty coffee in general. There's an audience for it, but beyond that audience, we're just going to lose more people. For sure. I think, uh, I think it would be interesting to see, you know, among like stores, if we were to go pull stores, baristas who roasters, you know, who are in the industry already used to the three, $4 cup and honestly don't mind because they know they're getting something better. You know, how would they react to this? And, you know, that's a big thing. The other thing is my mother, she's drinking eight o'clock every day. Eight o'clock roast, that is, not time frame. <laughs> you know, there probably was, both. <laughs> <laughs> there was Folgers in our house. My first cup when I went to college, I bought a giant can of Folgers and was like, this is going to be awesome. And I threw it out right away. <laughs> right after so, you got hired at Pete's, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. So, uh, you know, you take a look at those people who already think we're a little crazy spending, you know, 16 upwards of $20 for 10 ounces. They're definitely not going to even attempt to get in. And if they were on the the bridge of looking at, you know, those 10 ounce bags, they're probably going to think twice now about it. That's, I mean, that's tough because how do you change the perception? How do you move the ball. We've moved the ball a lot. We've come a long way from cans of Folgers to, you know, $25 bags that are definitely in my estimation, generally worth it, like more often than not worth it. Um, and we still have a long ways to go to reach any kind of equity or where we're actually positively impacting the supply chain. I'm glad to dig into proud Mary a little bit. And obviously I don't think they'd bring something like this to market unless they knew their customers and their preferences well enough. Um, but now let's turn to what I have already termed the least scientific way to determine customer preference. And let's talk a little bit about the Sprudge 2023 ultimate coffee bracket challenge. So I first have to say Sprudge on the market, I thought was one of the first things I was excited to see what they were doing, covering coffee industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, over time, it became, I don't want to say gimmicky, but a little too fluffy. Well, it's like, I mean, their tagline is coffee news and frothy gossip. Yeah. And it very much feels like a gossip page at times. And I'm a, I'm all for, like, fluffy articles, you know. If they had covered this $150 cup of coffee and had similar conversation, like, that would have been interesting. Like, this is totally going to be a hot-button topic for some people if it catches on. Um. Now, this bracket, I have to say, is, it's interesting, is the best way to put it. First of all, we've got brewing methods mixed with food and, like, coffee-oriented breakfast. Who makes the cut? Yeah, that's an interesting question. (laughs) Right. And then you've got alcoholic mixes with coffee. That I love. I think we need to pay more attention to that. I think that's such a great... Anyway, that's a, such a great Agreed. place for, for coffee to be and for coffee to be recognized for its versatility. I was definitely uh, interested to see how that shook out. <laughs> I, have, um, I think 
I have the most issues with that section of the bracket. <laughs> and then lastly, we have your traditional coffee beverages that you'll walk into any shop and find. You're comparing all these things, and they're not comparable. Okay. Okay. I, I mean... Like, seriously, how can you compare a croissant to a shot of espresso? Those two didn't go head-to-head. <laughs> croissant and V60 did. Right. <laughs> the espresso's so, a lot less flaky. <laughs> so, but A lot like, less cleanup on the espresso. <laughs> it's a little lighter on the tongue. <laughs> I, get, I get where you're going. Um, I think it's fair to ask, though, um, for most people. Now, I don't think it's necessarily the audience that this bracket reached, but for most people, does the pastry make the coffee, or does the coffee make the pastry, right? Right. So there's a question there, but like it doesn't necessarily fit Spredge's audience. Well, yeah, for sure. And I love this. <laughs> and it's definitely going to spark conversations. I could saddle up to uh, any barista and put this in front of them and be like, Tell me what you think about this. It's so funny that you mentioned that, too, because I actually asked a bartender all of the alcohol matchups, and he called them all. He knew, like, he knew customer preference incredibly well based on this bracket, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so it must have, they must have tapped into something here, at least in that quadrant of the bracket. Uh, so... Let's look at a couple specific ones, because that's where we're going to yes. get into the real yes. nitty-gritty here. I'm excited. Um, and I'll throw it to you, Wade. What's uh, the first one you want to okay. look at? Oh, i got to take issue with espresso martini over Irish coffee. That's Come it. on. Come on. So I have a pickle with this one. When I first started drinking way back when, you know, 21, 22, I'll never forget it. It was a, a bar... Down in Rochester, I don't, Lola was the name. Lola. It's no longer around. It's been gone for forever. Yeah, that predates my arrival here for sure. So my uh, my uh, restaurant friends there, you know, turned 21. They're like, oh, we're going here. You got to come out after work. Espresso martini was the first drink I've seen that was not like a Jack and Coke, not a gin and tonic, nothing like that. All right. And it won my heart. That's fantastic. Yep. Now, you put this up against some of the other ones, though. No way. All right. I um, mean, and it went deep in the bracket. It went real deep. I think it's the it won that quadrant, right? Yeah. It made it all the way down to the, the semifinal there, if you will. Yeah, it beat. Yeah, and that's where it beat Irish Coffee was for the winner of that bracket and or that quadrant. And I'm like, okay, look, you can get an Irish Coffee out of a flask. Like at a funeral. No, no, <laughs> like, no you could, absolutely not. You absolutely could. Like, I'm just saying like, it's so accessible. It doesn't matter how it tastes. I'm taking the Irish coffee. I'm taking the coffee stout. I'm so, not, you know. So have you been to the Buena Vista? The you Buena Vista. San Francisco pioneered this drink. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I recently did a deep dive into this beverage. Nice. And living in San Wait, Francisco. on Drink Junkie? Yes. All right, everybody yes. check out Aaron's YouTube, Drink Junkie. It's a, it's a passion project, so it's, it's slow going. It's awesome. <laughs> but he did a great job. It's fun. He does a great job. So uh, Irish coffee is one of my favorites, and here's the one thing. You're not getting a true Irish coffee unless you do the light whipped cream on it. Ooh. 
you know, you can have a shot of anything in your coffee. I mean, it's a shot in the dark, right? It's what? it's an Irish coffee. <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna we're okay, gonna so drop espresso definitions. Coffee. Okay, I see, I see. All right, you All know, right. it doesn't make it a great cup of coffee. It, I, I see where you're going. I see where you're, so maybe I'm maybe definitionally I'm just a little off on what I call an Irish coffee. Uh, I I would say yes and no. Most people will not think about all of the components that are going to go in and how you put them together. You know, if they're, you're lucky if they understand you need to put brown sugar in the bottom of your coffee there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're also lucky if they don't pull the whipped cream out of a can. Like, yeah, that's, that's probably what I would do at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've got a love affair with Irish coffee. Now, the fact that this lost you the espresso martini I've got a big bone to pick with that one. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you. There's no actual coffee in the, the espresso martini. Well, so that's that's where the modern espresso martini is changing things. So I'm speaking as the spirits expert here on in the producer chair. Like nowadays, they're pulling fresh shots for espresso martinis. This isn't this isn't your 90s dad espresso martini <laughs> anymore. That's, yeah, and they, they do it both ways. And I've... Uh, I've definitely had wholesale partners through Aporia who make espresso syrup with fresh shots. And so, like, is that is that coffee? Like, is, is that actual coffee? Is that espresso? And then um, when before Fifth Frame opened, uh, I <laughs> was working somewhere that would batch a literal quart of espresso for somebody's espresso martini. Is that like, is that, that's not fresh espresso, but they've got that. That's an ingredient. So I look at it. I get what you're saying. Like if they're using a coffee liqueur and calling it an espresso martini, that's, you know, for sure. That's, that's kind of cheating, but, but that goes back to the whole thing we were talking about earlier with doing your own espresso martinis at home and things like that. So which one is more dependent on the coffee being good? The espresso martini hands down. I will drink it Irish coffee for what it is. <laughs> okay, so going more to the traditional drinks, Latte defeated Cold Brew in the quarterfinal of that bracket, of that quadrant. Yeah. And it was 73 to 27. Oh. Now, here's what I don't get about this. Cans of Cold Brew, literally everywhere. Everyone, you know, every coffee shop had to retrofit, like, taps, mm-hmm. you know, when Cold Brew became popular. I sell wholesale cold brew systems uh that restaurants every stripe you know of coffee service now needs cold brew Mm -hmm. they definitely do you need cold brew in environments where you don't need espresso so how is latte is it really and and is it really 73 27 i think we're seeing the the bracket skew towards coffee professionals a little bit i think popularly and in terms of like people who own coffee companies and want to make money off coffee, cold brew is. I think cold brew has defeated this uh, this old giant of the latte. Personally, I agree, but I think your uh, your your polling group here, I don't think is going to walk into any coffee shop and want to just pull a can off the shelf. Oh, that's like that's a good perspective. But I order cold brew often yeah. enough. You you might not be the normal person there. That's uh, <laughs> all right. All right, I can accept that. I, 
I'll say, as someone who loves cold brew, I'm not buying canned cold brew anywhere. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I, I'm not buying the cans, but I will order it. Like, if they've got a tap, I'll give it a well, shot. maybe a nitro. Every once in a while, I'll see that. But if they don't specify, I'm not going to take a chance on got it. Got it. Okay, so if you see the nitro tap, you'll go for it. Got it. Yeah, I'll at least give it a shot. So maybe know? they should have specified in the bracket. We don't know what they were going for in the bracket. And so. this is the whole problem. <laughs> <laughs> Non-scientific <laughs> reference poll. All right. Espresso? By the way, it should be noted, I have a biology science background, so this is this is really an issue here. <laughs> Sample size. You know, sample area. What are what are we doing here? Nails on a chalkboard. I, I didn't a, even see this bracket. I need and a paper on <laughs> method here. I want to see the uh, the percentages of the uh, values and how good they are. The <laughs> times people were responding, the cross tabs on demographics, all of it. I need all of it. Uh, okay, espresso tonic over mocha. Not on your life, man. Like in no environment, no one. I. I could almost, I would look at sales data on this. No one's selling more espresso tonics than mochas right now. That is silly. (laughs) I think I wrote that down as, what the heck are they thinking? Yeah, (laughs) that was, yeah. Uh, That one, we'll just leave aside for now because anyone could look at that and know that it's it's absurd because chocolate and coffee and milk, I mean, come on, versus uh, slightly metallic bubbles and, and espresso. Well, and that's the thing. Like, no one orders a mocha on a normal day. It's everybody's, like, guilty pleasure there. It's, I, yeah. I mean, I live with someone who only orders them when it's snowing outside. So, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, all the food seeds and all the food <laughs> matches sucked. Avocado toast was number one? No. I'm sorry. Your West Coast is showing, Sprudge. Like, Agreed. come on. Uh, breakfast tacos defeated avocado toast? Yes, <laughs> Whoa! I I knew this was coming. So this is the controversy. So, what makes a breakfast taco better than avocado toast? Here we go. First of all, not everyone likes avocados. They taste like slime. Like they're mushy. They're, they're they, fatty. It's so good for you. Yeah, but so is the fat on a cow. You don't just eat that straight. Depends on what I'm cooking. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're melting it and, like, sautéing stuff in it for the oil content. There is that. I mean, that matters. And consuming it, for sure. Here's the thing. If I'm going to a place that sells food, and it's relatively expensive, you know, you're not getting the $2 egg dish or whatever that they're literally throwing two eggs on a fryer and giving them to you. If I'm paying $10, $12 for something, toast, toast. With avocados. <laughs> I get, okay, I get that argument. I get that argument. So there's a there's a price issue here. Got it. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, places that sell avocado toast probably also sell an item like a breakfast taco. And if I'm being honest, I can think of one, and I always get the breakfast burrito. Oh, touche. So, so you, you might have convinced me here. You might have won this one. It should be said, I just don't like avocado also. I, I could tell that was really coming through. That's a, that's. I'm a bit swayed. I can see that. I can see that. That's uh, that's good. All right. All right. I've I've learned. Okay. So the next thing, though, how do you get compare a breakfast taco to a croissant? Because croissants are just better with coffee, no matter what. I mean, <laughs> under no circumstances. Sure, but the, 
not even the same category. Like, it's true. It's true. I mean, how many croissants could you pound given the opportunity? Ooh, is there a limit? I no limit. <laughs> I I don't know. It like here's. <laughs> can I tell a story quick? So I was on. Anyone who knows Jared Sickler will appreciate this. Uh, I was on shift with Jared Sickler a while back, <laughs> and he legit took down. I think six. Flower City, like day olds at Joe Bean. <laughs> I think it was six throughout the course of our shift because they're like day olds. And by the end of the shift, we're throwing them out anyway. So if they're For not sure. selling, he's just eating them, right? He tells uh, Keith, owner of Flower City, that later. And Keith's like, You probably ate a whole stick of butter. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, yeah, with croissants, I'm not sure there's a limit there. <laughs> it was it was masked by the flaky texture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, when you eat a croissant, a certain percentage of percentage of it like ends up on your clothes ends up on the floor on the table you're eating at so like you probably spared a little bit of that but we definitely have to go back a step here (laughs) how did cookie make it as far as it did wait how far did oh my gosh i missed this how far did cookie go three spots down until it hit croissant which kind of cookie they said it was a chocolate cookie chocolate yeah but look at look at what it's against who who orders a chia pudding in a coffee shop again their west coast is showing yeah, Good like time. breakfast tacos is like that's the Austin contingent. That's Austin, Texas dominating this poll. This is the Austin centric coffee universe <laughs> dominating this thing. Get oh, Nolan in so here. Funny. Let's let's get his opinion on the uh, sure quality of thoughts. this issue. I'm sure, he'd do great. Chocolate cookie. Uh, okay, I, I've done it. You know, I've had cookies with coffee. See, that's my the difference for me was I was always thinking of in the back of my head like. Would I eat this with coffee? And mm-hmm. like, for sure, it's definitely I think a a thing I've done before. Or like, you get like espresso over a chocolate cookie. Maybe like, maybe there are ways in which people have enjoyed. Have you seen that? I've I not have seen, seen that. I mean, like, I don't know. You see everything on Instagram. It's a, <laughs> you know, it's a place. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of, I kind of get that. Um, here's big, my thing. Big upset. Cream cheese Danish there. <laughs> Unless it's like a unique quality cookie. So when we were at Pete's, you know, going down, we can talk about quality at Pete's, but they had a ginger molasses cookie that you could not find anywhere else. I want to shout out Red Fern right now. They had a ginger molasses cookie that was. If they still do, I'm going there tomorrow. Outstanding. Yeah. Shout out to Andrea Peros. Best, some of the best baked goods you can get anywhere in Rochester. Absolutely. Super yeah. friendly for dietary restrictions, and that is a good cookie. That is a, yeah, I had quite a few. I didn't have like six in one shift, but I had quite a few <laughs> of those cookies, you know, a few years ago. Given the upper poundity, I could put down six. <laughs> to the point where we even found a mock recipe, me and my wife, found the crystallized ginger, started making it at home. Yeah. Just, they're that good. Yeah. And so, okay, so chocolate chip cookie, maybe. Chocolate cookie, maybe not, but. You're selling yourself short Ginger there. molasses, maybe. All right. Uh, you know, Sprudge, we love you. Fix your bracket. Um, we, I, I see nothing but issues. Also, yeah. like, V60 as the champion. You go to competition, people talk so much trash about V60s, and, like, so few people use them, and there's, like, it's all AeroPress, uh, For sure. and it's all B house and it's all, you know, there are so many other drippers that like coffee professionals put over the V 60 
that I look at that and I go, okay, so who really was answering this poll? So, and here's the other thing I had to look up. I've used both. Now, I ultimately default to Chemex because I'm not drinking one cup of coffee in the morning. Same. I'm yeah. going two or three, right? So why am I going to pour in heat water for multiple cups in between? Like, not going to happen. But when you look at, like, I had to Google, difference between V60 and Chemex, there's not a huge difference there. I mean, Ooh. yeah, the filters may be thicker. This is another conversation. <laughs> There's there's lots of things that are come out of this podcast here. I think this is a, yeah, we got a lot of content for future <laughs> conversations because I think there's stay tuned a huge difference between those two brew methods and uh, yeah, I apply them very differently in my own home brewing. So uh, I can't wait to have that conversation. That's, That's awesome. gonna be a good one. You know what we got to do is we'll have to bring in, Ooh. or I'm sure Chris has V60 and Chemex here. I'm sure. Yeah, we, we, we could make that happen. We could make that happen right here. And yeah, I think the big, th- yeah, so much to break down. I'm, it's spinning in my head about all the details. There are, I think, some very instructive differences in the more you think through them, the more you learn about brewing. But uh, before we do all that, uh, I just want to toss it back to Chris and uh, give you all a little break and a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Level Up Podcast was recorded live at the Food About Town studio and is sponsored by Nominate. Nominate is a service where you buy a meal for two, but you have no idea what you're getting till you pick it up. We work with the wide variety of diverse restaurants in Buffalo and Rochester, and all you have to do is order from nominatemeals.com. We do it equitably where the restaurants make good money, you have a great time, and we get to support the restaurants that really need it in our area. So go to nominatemeals.com, order your meal for Three Heads Brewing, our new location at Fatty Beer in Rochester, or at the phenomenal Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo. Hopefully see you very soon at Nominate Meals. Join the nomination. All right, welcome back. And we're going to get a little more serious now. Uh, We're going to be talking about the political and just life situation in Ethiopia over the past couple of years with the war in Tigray. In November of 2020, the Ethiopian government under new Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed sent troops into northern Tigray region claiming regional militias had attacked a military depot seeking to arm themselves. The leading political party in the region, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, quickly formed the Tigray Defense Force, TDF, and civil war ensued. Allies of the central government in Eritrea, which I recently learned used to be part of Ethiopia and is the nearest border to to Tigray, also sent military forces into the region. These forces are believed to have committed the worst atrocities of the war. The central government has denied services and aid to the region. In a lot of places, there's no electricity or running water. And one UN report lists several war crimes on the part of the central government. Last month, a U.S. State Department report claimed both sides committed similar war crimes. Fighting continued until peace agreements were signed in Pretoria, South Africa, and Nairobi, Kenya in November of 2022. So that is a two-year conflict. 
The U.S. State Department has since announced $331 million in new aid to Ethiopia as the central government finally released budgetary funds to the Tigray region and reestablished the regional government alongside needed services. The African Union is currently monitoring and regulating implementation of the peace agreements, including disarmament and return of refugees. A lot of things that don't necessarily have anything to do with coffee, but we'll get there. And what I want to know is, uh, Aaron, what, if any, responsibility do you think coffee companies have to keep an eye on developments like this all over the world, because they're happening all over the world, uh, and educating their uh, audience and the public at large about them? That's a very uh, heavy question to answer. Um as somebody who's been in coffee for a long time, it never occurred to me to even research any of this. It was, uh, it was eye opening to, first of all, just be asked like, Hey, consider what's going on in the civil war and how it's impacting your favorite industry, your favorite hobby, your favorite delicacy. Right. And you know, once the question was posed, I immediately was like, yeah, that's huge. What yeah. do we do with that? It's we, we talk about Ethiopia being the birthplace of coffee. It has a place um, in a lot of people's coffee stories. So is it more important to know, you know the history from a thousand years ago or what's happening right now? The actual situation that uh, some of the people we might be relying on are living in. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> it's really interesting because if you really go – I mean, I've been to Africa – and it's it's a different world. I mean, if all you've known is the U.S. and maybe some of the other really developed countries, you'll be thrown through the ringer. And so then you go a step farther and think, okay, one of their major exports from a lot of these regions is coffee. Yeah. And these industries are just, it seems like they're ignoring it completely, that there's all this politics and all of these you know, warring people, you know, involved in this. Right. And, you know, how much responsibility do they have? It's really hard to say because they are doing a business, but at the same time, they're really involved in those regions in some ways. It's an extremely thorny issue because on the one hand, you think of one of Ethiopia's neighbors, Rwanda, where coming back from the genocide that happened in, was it 1994? One of the biggest sectors that led the economic revival was coffee, and it was partnerships between NGOs and the, and the central government. And I'm starting to encounter stories now that are like after the genocide in Rwanda. And we want to tell those stories. I agree. I think it's another level. I mean, as you're getting into coffee, like you said, one of the first things you learn is, you know, there's this story about goats and herders and eating coffee beans and stuff. Right. And then you kind of learn, oh, that might not be 100% true. Probably not. So then you go a step further and you're like, oh, there's all these regions. And you get kind of exposed to the single origin concept that is very prolific now. And you kind of gloss over everything else that's happening in those regions. Exactly. A single origin is someone's home. Yes. It's someone's home. And this is the kind of thing that's happening there. Well, and so I was very privileged to be able to go to Uganda 
a while ago. Now you've got these farmers. They've got some plot of land. They've got their main product, their main lifeline sitting out sometimes while it's, you know, aging and drying. They probably don't have walls or fences either. In an active war zone. Right. Right. So if someone decides to come through that area, they might lose their entire life, you know, savings that might be on that crop. Well, and you know that, like, coffee trees, when you replant them, take two to three years, sometimes even longer, depending on the variety, to actually produce a crop. And the first crop is never as big as as what it could potentially be if it's given time. So you're not looking at, well, we'll replant it, it'll grow next year. You're looking at restarting and maybe having, like, hopefully a five-year plan, which in in a politically volatile situation, in a militarily volatile situation, is like well, who's making plans like that? You're just trying to survive, basically. So Right. And, you know, a lot of people in our positions would say, well, the U.S. is giving aid. That aid is probably not going to whatever estate helping them develop their coffee crops. It's by the going- time it gets there. Your money getting, you know, I can arrogant or not arrogantly, ignorantly say, like, maybe they're getting $20. Maybe they're getting $100. Like, not what they need. Yeah, definitely exactly. not what they need. Exactly. And especially if it's going through a central government that's already proven that it's corrupt you know, and willing stealing to, money. That, well, that it's willing to wage war on its own people. We could at least say that. I don't want, you know, like, I'm not trying to take a side here in a conflict that I don't have full background on. Uh, but I am willing to look at at a central government that's willing to make war on its own people and say, we're now giving you $330 million. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to the people who are going to need it the most. Um, and then there are these odd, beyond just the danger and the situation of life, there are these odd knock-on effects uh, in Ethiopia specifically. Uh, one of the things that Ethiopia is always struggling with is how to draw in foreign currency, specifically uh, U.S. dollars. And one thing that they've done as as a government to encourage uh, private entities to bring in foreign currency is they said, look, we won't, you know, tax you, tariff you, whatever, but you need to send 30% of the foreign currency you bring into central government. We pay it back in our currency. So it's not like a bad deal to get into coffee exporting make the money you make, send 30% of the U.S. currency to the central government, they send you back, you know, the Ethiopian currency. Mm-hmm. Um, you keep 70% of it, right? Doesn't sound like a bad deal off the top of your my head there. So what happened was uh, when the government started this program, a lot of groups that were trying to um, build, a lot of contractors, a lot of people who needed foreign currency to buy machinery, to buy goods, they got into the coffee sector. And they were selling coffee at like a 5% loss. Hmm. Um, and the price like woo, dropped because what they were willing to sell for. Mm-hmm. When the war started, the central government changed the program and said, now you send us 70%, you only keep 30. And they all got out. They created a ton of artificial demand and then it disappeared from the market. So where does that coffee go now? Where do people sell their coffee in a market that they thought was a boom where do they sell it now? And so that's like one of the knock-on effects is that uh, the market really got strangled. We'll see fewer exports from Ethiopia. And 
we'll probably see some that were on the verge of making the quality jump to specialty selling on the C market or selling to entities that aren't paying as fair of a price. So that's where we as specialty coffee believe in this narrative of us as the people who are paying more for coffee and making a difference by doing so. And we can do nothing about this. Nothing. I mean, I would argue that that's not even a thought in most people's minds. That we are using our purchasing power to support Ethiopia. I mean, on the day-to-day, that's not creeping into my mind. But it's, okay, but you're not, and I'm just going to push back a little here. You're not telling the story of specialty coffee, which we've been telling for you know, 50 some odd years now that if we get quality and we pay a better price, we can make a better life for people in source sure. countries. I mean, I guess that would, that would come to like where a lot of people are claiming, well, we're buying from specific estates and we're traveling there to meet them and creating this fluffy area of how they're running their business. And I agree. To a point, that is true. They're supporting specific people. They're supporting people who are doing good work. No doubt. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I would think that we're getting a better product because of that. Those people are going to continue to improve, be able to kind of sustain a life in doing this industry, especially if you're going back every year or every couple years, you know, when they've got a crop, Um, you know, We've got roasters around here who yearly put out specific uh, estates and roasts um, because they love it, and they've gone back year, you know, when they have when they can to be with these people, and that's really what you want is that relationship there where you know where your money's going, and and where I land on that is all that stuff is great, no doubt, and I don't. I don't want to say anything that would imply otherwise. But that is a microcosm of of the number of issues we actually brush up against. Oh, yeah. And if we're willing to deal with that microcosm, how do we step back and deal with the larger issues too? I mean, because this isn't just happening in Ethiopia. We could also go to, for instance, uh, Colombia, which is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the largest exporters, I think third or fourth yearly largest exporters of coffee where the political unrest has looked a lot like it has in this country over the last few years. And as a coffee company, you know, I haven't seen a lot of other companies and I've tried on a couple of occasions, but like, again, I'm not an expert, you know, I'm not a foreign policy expert. I'm getting a lot of what I'm getting from Pod Save the World, shout out to Crooked <laughs> Media, uh, from Al Jazeera, from BBC, from Democracy Now. Like, shout out to these news sources that actually cover this stuff um, and, and aren't, like, just covering when a U.S. diplomat goes over there. Right. Um, but I've tried on a, on a couple of occasions to put this information out there, and I haven't really seen it from other coffee companies. Now, we're not education companies. We're not media companies. There are coffee media companies. And to be honest, like a couple of them, I would expect a little better coverage from. 
Uh, and I'm not seeing, I'm not going to call anyone out by name cause I don't need to start any fights. We're just, this, we're just this little tiny podcast. Don't worry about us. Uh, we're, we're one, maybe two in, if you consider it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's hard because this is such an important concept here and it goes back to our purchasing power and the power we have as being the importers of this. And, you know, thoughts running through my head, you know, one, we've got, you know, a roaster in the area who is highlighting other people doing great things. And that's an amazing concept. You're using your business to highlight other businesses that may not even be related to coffee. Um, and then that also, you know, brings up a thought of like, right, we've got these issues. People have died for this product. Should we... I mean, you import coffee, you're buying from these estates. Should we be considering, you know, what regions we're supporting in that? You know, should we be supporting areas of certain countries and things more than others? You know, and ultimately then that's going to come back to the consumer. And do they really care? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the hard part that really stinks about this whole thing is even in the coffee industry, you're not going to find a lot of people who care and so it kind of boils down to audience and, and, and what you train your audience or the audience that you find maybe, cause you can't even always determine who your audience is. The right. algorithms are determining our audiences as much For as sure. we are. This podcast isn't going to reach the people. Of course it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I joke when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm a pessimist at heart. No, I, and yeah, I, I can see uh, Chris has has a contribution here. Yeah, I mean this this is this is the never ending discussion about coffee. From you know, for me as an avid consumer of coffee, is I mean all of the stories that you brought up. You brought up a drop in the bucket, right? So you're touching on a major conflict that's going over two years in a country that's already struggling in many ways, but so many stories to tell. And I think this this is one of the great why I was excited that you know, you guys wanted to start doing level up here, you know, you know, here at the studio I was is excited too. these, mm-hmm. these stories are the ones that get me excited and terrified and, you know, pessimistic and optimistic all at the same time, because everything you said is true, right? <laughs> they, it does, does make that a collection of facts mean, yeah. right? What it, does it mean? Because yes, buying direct and buying through ethical, more ethical, wholesalers does make a difference. Does it matter is a whole different story. Like it does make some difference to some people. Does it matter in the grand scheme? Um, But you touched on one country. We touched on one country and one crisis. Exactly. If we look at the whole bordering of the equator, I mean, we're dealing with, you know, depending on your persuasion, border crisis with Guatemala every day. I know for sure that, Wade, you drink you you drink and it's, love Guatemalan it's coffee. My absolute favorite origin, and I know a lot about the history of coffee in Guatemala. Absolutely, yeah. And there's so many of these stories, and this is this is why this show got me amped up as soon as you guys wanted to do it. Was so many stories that can be told in a way that's respectful, and yeah, it ties to everything we still love about coffee. And I would hope that. Anyone listening to this who has the responsibility 
Because that's the other question. Mm-hmm. Who, within a coffee company, whose responsibility is it to tell this story? Is it, yeah. Is it, I, I spoke to uh, Rory, Rory at Ugly Duck. Uh, our kids go to the same school. So we see each <laughs> other. We talk about these, this stuff all the time. He's like, you know, too often issues like this are like the responsibility of a barista. Someone yes. comes in and is like, do you know about the civil war in Ethiopia? It's like, no, if you're working as a barista, that's an entry level job. And you're expected to know about the civil war in Tigray, Ethiopia. Like really? Like, so, or if you're a social media person, like, are you, if you were hired to make Instagram posts, Facebook posts, make events, like do website. You're not putting images of people with guns, killing people. What on earth? You've probably (laughs) never heard of it. So where does the responsibility lie? And, uh, where does the, when do we become willing to tell stories that might make us uncomfortable? So one of the things that it comes to is there, there's that chain of information too. I mean, there's probably a ton of roasters who are buying coffee from these regions. They're not researching it. And so, you know, is it the responsibility of the larger importing company to specify that? Is it then the roaster responsible for telling these shops, telling the baristas, educating them on it? You know, I might argue, yes, all of that's important, but you also argue, no, like these people are focusing on their specific area. Exactly that. And yeah, that barista who's maybe making $20 an hour, you know, they're, they're not going to spend, they're not like, oh, Ethiopia, let me go research the history of Ethiopia and what's going on currently. In my free time when I was a barista, that's what I did. And I ended up owning a coffee company, right? So like, that's kind of the industry we're in, right? Like if you have that level of interest, you're probably not at that level of customer interaction anymore. Sure. And, and that's a weird disconnect. And that was what Rory brought up. And I think it's an important thing to say, but I think, uh, we're about out of time and we probably have to leave that one there. Um, and hopefully, you know, this will be a safe space for us to talk about some more, you know, political issues or some of those, some, some of those issues that come into frame when you're talking about, uh, you know, a global product such as coffee. So a little bit more of a deep dive into the industry and ultimately, you know, what we should be knowing and going about. And DM us at uh, levelup.wny, I believe is our Instagram. <laughs> I should know this. We, we, uh, since the reformat yeah. over a year ago, you know. <laughs> Level up WNY. Just search that. You'll find us. DM us if you know someone who's telling the, the story really well. Um, and we'd love to highlight places where stories of countries that aren't just like the happy-go-lucky, yay, look how good coffee is for everyone, now buy it uh, type of story are being told. And uh, I want to say thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Wade for uh, inviting me and getting me back involved in this. And thanks to Chris for the facilities and all the great thoughts and everything. Yeah, I love this, guys. Super excited for it. Yeah, this is going to be good. And uh, be sure to tune in. uh, Rate, subscribe, review, all those good things, and we'll be seeing you. Enjoy your coffee.